Huckabee, Peter Navarro on Trade China and America's Future, Alvita King and Father Frank Pavone stand for life, and Debbie Boone makes the music swing. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbert. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Oh, thank you very much. Welcome to our show. It's going to be so much fun. I'm glad you're tuning in. Glad to have this terrific studio audience with us here in our theater, located just outside of Nashville in Hendersonville, Tennessee. Come see us. Hey, there's a question that I'm often asked, and it's whether there is any hope of seeing our country be less polarized. And the answer is a very strong, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about as solid as a four-year-old being asked, if you'd rather have ice cream or a cupcake for breakfast. But the answer is actually found right there, right there in the text of our Constitution, most specifically in the Bill of Rights and the Tenth Amendment. Although long ignored, the Tenth Amendment simply states, the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively, or to the people. Now it's just one sentence. But the key to getting our government to function again in the interest of all people, Democrat or Republican, is right there. You see, the founders really wanted a very small and limited federal government. It was their very strong belief that the best government was the most local government because it was closer to the people being governed. And therefore, it would make decisions in the people's interest since those making the laws had to live among the people most affected. And the brilliant men who created our government would gag if they showed up in Washington, D.C. today. But not just for the reasons that we gag every day watching what they do to us, okay? Now, they would be shocked and angry at the sheer size of the federal government and the extent to which our current federal government has become involved in every aspect of our lives. Because they envisioned a truly limited government that essentially just made sure that we had an adequately funded army and navy and that people could really travel and conduct business within the various states and that they would be able to make treaties with other nations for the interest of peace. Everything else would be decided at the state, the county, or even the community level. And that's what the 10th Amendment says. But that's not what we do. And having so much government in a centralized place so far for most of the people being governed, but in a city where television cameras and news outlets are as ubiquitous as Michael Bloomberg's TV ads. <laughs> you see, everyone wants to be a star in Washington, even more than they want to govern. And so we get more show, but less flow. It's been suggested that the worst thing to happen to Washington was air conditioning. If you've ever been there, you know it's so hot in D.C. during the summer that Congress, they didn't meet very much until air conditioning was invented. And then these guys stayed year-round, and the country has been in a mess ever since. Now, the truth is, 
when Washington, D.C. makes the decision for all 50 states, they usually just don't realize that Mississippi is different than Massachusetts, that New York is not the same as New Mexico, and California is not the same as, well, anybody. <laughs> anybody. I mean, if those decisions were made by states, the policies would reflect the unique needs and populations of those states. Most of the amendments to the Constitution are truly improvements, but one that was disastrous was the 17th Amendment. And I'll bet most folks don't even know what it did. Did you know that until 1913, U.S. senators were appointed by state legislatures? They weren't elected. They were appointed by the state legislatures so that they would protect the states from federal overreach and they would maintain the 10th Amendment. But after the 17th Amendment, senators were elected by popular vote. And frankly, on first glance, seems like a good idea. But the result is that people elected to federal office have far more power as long as the federal government keeps growing bigger and bigger. And it's become very big but very unproductive. So can we see the government less polarized and more productive? Yep, but it might start with repealing the 17th Amendment and dismantling a whole lot of Washington that was never supposed to be there anyway. My first guest has been on the front lines of the trade war with China as assistant to the president and director of trade and manufacturing policy. This week, President Trump signed the long-awaited phase one China trade deal, the first step to putting the U.S. on a level playing field with the communist Chinese. To break it down further, Peter Navarro from the White House. Peter, I'm so delighted to have you and how timely to be able to get you here. What is phase one with the agreement with the Chinese? What we have here um, is a country, Communist China, back in 2001, joined the World Trade Organization and proceeded to break every rule in the WTO book. Uh, what they do to us, I've referred to as the seven deadly structural sins. It includes cyber hacking our computers to steal our trade secrets, intellectual property theft, forced technology transfer, uh, dumping and subsidies as a category, the use of these state-owned enterprises uh, to crush capitalism around the world, uh, currency manipulation, and finally, uh, reprehensibly, uh, the killing of Americans with deadly fentanyl. Uh, we tried to get a full deal uh, back in May, but that uh, they backed off on that. Phase one checks the following boxes, intellectual property theft, forced technology transfer, uh, currency manipulation. Uh, what we also have in the deal is some robust uh, purchases, uh, $200 billion above the 2017 baseline in four categories, good news for farmers, energy producers, services and manufacturing. And, and then finally, uh, something that the Chinese have promised for years but never delivered, access uh, for our financial sector, banks, uh, credit cards, insurance companies. So that's the phase one deal, uh, and uh, there it is. 
how come no previous administration ever stood up to the Chinese and simply said, we're all going to have to play by the same rules? I think one of the beautiful things President Donald J. Trump has done is to completely and forever change our understanding of China. Today, China is a strategic rival uh, that uh, we understand as Americans is in competition with us. It's seeking to uh, economic supremacy as well as military supremacy. And President Trump has taken a much uh, tougher line uh, than uh, Bill Clinton, George Bush, or Barack Obama, Joe Biden. Uh, it was is really unconscionable that these past presidents and leaders didn't identify this problem. Uh, and and really, what's what's interesting about Donald J. Trump is he knew about this dating back to the 1990s, and for Japan, when we had some issues with trade back in the 80s. So the president has been a leader on this. We're making some strong changes, but uh, there is a long way to go uh, to deal with these seven deadly structural sins. We've talked about the contrast with the previous administrations. How much of their inaction was because of the pressure of multinational corporations who were benefiting from the Chinese uh, gaining in this war and their simple turning their heads because these big multinational corporations were big political donors. I love that question, and I think the answer is it was about 10% naivete on the part of both past presidents and Congress, and 90% show me the corporate offshoring money. Uh, there's uh, here in the swamp, um, you see it every day. There's uh, you know, the business roundtable, the Chamber of Commerce, the big multinational corporations, the Wall Street, uh, Goldman Sachs, uh, back in the day, Lehman Brothers, uh, they do not salute the red, white, and blue. They salute the green. And uh, offshoring American jobs uh, on the grounds of efficiency and under the banner of free trade uh, did a tremendous injustice to the people of this country and harmed us uh, deeply. It, 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 it really struck to the very heart of our economic strength. Uh, what Donald J. Trump is doing as president is under the mantra of economic security is national security, is defending American workers against these unfair trade practices and in the process rebuilding our manufacturing and defense industrial base. Uh, remember that uh, under Joe Biden and Barack Obama, we lost 200,000 manufacturing jobs. Under Donald J. Trump, we've actually added 500,000 manufacturing jobs. They said it couldn't be done, that those jobs were lost forever. We had the lowest unemployment rate since a man walked on the moon. And um, two of the things that I love, workers' wages are rising faster than managers' wages. And then uh, back during the campaign when I was with the president, uh, there was this statistic, startling statistic. One out of four prime age worker men were out of the workforce. Uh, since Donald Trump uh, took office, we've got over two million of those prime age workers back into the workforce. And, and that's just such a, an accomplishment. And, and these people now have, have good wages and, and uh, it helps the family, and um, it's just a beautiful thing to watch here. What a great team of uh, President Trump and Peter Navarro making this happen. It wouldn't have happened without either of you, uh, but both of you together, <laughs> thank you.
I, I'm delighted to have you here on the show as well. I appreciate Our thanks to Peter Navarro, Assistant to the President, Director of Trade and Manufacturing Policy. You can watch Peter's 2012 documentary, Death by China, for free on YouTube. Also, check out his latest book, Crouching Tiger, What's China's Militarism Means for the World. You can get that wherever books are sold. Now, if you're looking for more news analysis from me, be sure to check out Facts of the Matter. It's after the show on Huckabee.tv. Well, we didn't get our announcer, Keith Bilby, from China. Nope, he's from right here, where he was the staff announcer for the Grand Ole Opry for over 30 years. And we know we can trust him to tell us about the show tonight. Oh, you came to the right source, Mike. Coming up, pro-life advocates Alveda King and Father Frank Pavone, comedian Rick Roberts, and later, Grammy Award winner Debbie Boone performs on Huckabee. Next week, Congressman Mark Walker sizes up the Senate, and The Voice, Sandy Patty, performs. Yeah, welcome back. You know, we could probably just end the show right here. Trey Corley, the Music City Connection, a big hand for the best band in the land. Well, next week, the annual March for Life in Washington is going to mark 47 years and nearly 62 million lives lost since Roe v. Wade legalized abortion. To talk about the sanctity of life, would you please welcome National Director of Priests for Life, Father Frank Pravone, and author and civil rights leader, Dr. Alveda King. Welcome you both. Thank you. I want to uh, say both of you are dear friends. And we've been involved in the uh, pro-life work for a long time. But I, I'm grateful to both of you. And I'm going to start, Father Frank, with you. Uh, you've just released a book called Abolishing Abortion, How You Can Play a Part. How can the average person play a part? Because a lot of people say, what can I do? I'm just some guy out here living in a small town in the middle of America. I can't affect something like that. Well, Governor, it's never been easier to save lives, precisely because the taking of life has become so widespread. Right in our local communities, we can stop abortion when we know what to say to somebody who might be tempted to have one. There's national hotlines, there's national websites, pregnancy centers outnumber the abortion clinics five to one across the country. Hmm. So just referring people to those local resources right then and there. You start there, saving a life right where you live. Alveda, your uncle, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., your father, uh, Dr. A.D. King, great leaders in the civil rights movement. I, I know you see it. Why don't more people understand that the taking of an unborn life is not just a uh, human life issue, it is a civil rights issue? The two actually go together, civil rights and God's laws, because God ordains life and everyone should have the right to live. And of course, my daddy, A.D. King, my granddaddy, Martin Luther King Sr., and my famous uncle, Martin Luther King Jr., who was actually a prophet, not just a civil rights leader mm -hmm. and a preacher. And during his lifetime, I believe it was Father Frank who first said, he gave me that quote, and I had known many of my uncle's quotes, but in a Christmas sermon, he said, when you value the human personality, mm -hmm. you won't kill anybody. Wow. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's so very true, and it's almost like people... I'm missing that, and I don't understand why. Uh, Father Frank, do you see 
hope in this country right now that oh, we're going to get rid of this scourge? The days of legal abortion in this country are numbered. We're going to see the end of it. Thank the Lord. You know, in these days, as we have the March for Life, a lot of people will be talking about Roe v. Wade. The court has largely dismantled Roe v. Wade already. The courts have found it to be unworkable. They have shifted the rationale. It's a decision in search of a rationale. Mm. And it was that way right from the beginning. Anyone who appreciates constitutional law, just read Roe v. Wade. It has no constitutional basis. And you know, the mightiest blow that hit happened in 2019 when two governors said, Governor, you mm -hmm. never would have said that. I know you wouldn't. <laughs> but that it was okay that when a baby's born. Yeah. And you just, one of them said, just keep the baby comfortable or whatever, and you make a decision. And so America woke up. America was in shock. What? Yeah. Kill a live baby? Well, we, and then Father Frank and I said, it's live in there, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that was a wake-up call for a lot of people. 2019. It was like, that is a bridge too far. Yeah. Uh, so let's discuss, a uh, week or so ago at the Golden Globes, uh, Michelle Williams famous actress, made, I think, one of the most chilling comments I've ever heard in my life. Here's what she says. When you put this in someone else's hands, you're acknowledging the choices they make as an actor, moment by moment, scene by scene, day by day. But you're also acknowledging the choices they make as a person. And I wouldn't have been able to do this, talking about her acting career, without employing a woman's right to choose. To choose when to have my children and with whom. What she basically said, I get to get this award. I'm a successful actress because I had an abortion several years ago and it enabled and empowered my career. I was stunned that a person was so proud of something that I think many people would be ashamed that they had done. What, what happens to a person when they sear their conscience and they take pride in having ended their own child's life? Governor, that's exactly what happens. A woman's conscience is seared. That did happen to me. When I was very young, I actually had two abortions and a miscarriage mm. because of harm done to me and my body through the abortions. And I was just in darkness, gross deception and darkness. And then in 1983, I became born again. Mm. And I realized that I had committed many sins. And the abortion was a part of that. And so when I heard that, it was very chilling. I can almost feel it now. And I could just almost... I heard my Lord Jesus say, Father, forgive her. She doesn't know what she's doing. Mm. And I was just praying, Lord, we have to wake up. We have to see. Mm. Father Frank, the March for Life comes up uh, this week. Tell me the significance of those hundreds of thousands of pro-life people gathering in D.C. every year. What you know, it? that's what propelled me into the pro-life movement when I was a teenager. And uh, you see the diversity of the crowd. It represents what America really stands for. You see all different ethnic and religious backgrounds, different ages. And you see what being a Christian really means. We have joyful sorrow. We, we, we face the tragedies of, of this life, abortion being, being central among them. And we grieve over that. So these are people who are motivated because they have a broken heart mm. over the death of these babies. But that sorrow doesn't crush us. Like St. Paul says, we grieve, but not like those who have no hope. Mm. This crowd is filled with hope. They're filled with joy. They're confident in victory. They know they're on the right side of history and the right side of justice. Well, both of you are certainly on both the right side of history and justice. Uh, I love you both. Alveda King's books can be available at alvedaking.com. 
Visit her website, civilrightsfortheunborn.org. Follow her on social media at Alveda C. King. And we put it on the screen so you can write it down, make sure you get it. Father Provone's book, Abolishing Abortion, available at Amazon and bookstores everywhere. Also, be sure to visit ProLifeVote.com. Follow him at Father Frank, which is F.R. Frank Pavone. And for information on the January 22nd March, visit MarchForLife.org. That's a lot of stuff, but this is important stuff. And I want to say thanks, Father Frank and Alveda, for being here. What a delight to have you. Thank you. God bless you. Hey, Keith Bilbrey, you know that magic notebook that lists all of our guests tonight? Peek in there. Tell us what's coming up. Oh, I've got it right here. Tonight, funny man Rick Roberts, America's foster parents Emily and Chris Norton, plus Grammy winner Debbie Boone share stories and sings on Huckabee. and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. My next guest is Rick Roberts. He's a very good friend of our show and often performs just for our studio audience as part of our pre-show. He's also the former president of the Christian Comedy Association and a hilarious stand-up comic and corporate speaker. If you've ever been in our live studio audience, you might have mistaken him for this guy. Way better than any kerosene cucumbers Aunt Bee used to make. Nip it in the bud. Well, 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 I knew I'd finally catch you. Don't be a goober. Can I hear you say, Keep your bullet in your pocket. Well, well, where do you think you're going? I'm gonna get you for black car with brown interior. You got your pipes wide open. Oh, I'm gonna throw the book at you, buddy. The whole book! Hey! <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Welcome to the big show. Uh, happy New Year to everybody. It's a big new year, and I've already focused on my goal for this year is getting a little healthier. I found out a few weeks ago I got the high cholesterol, and I mean high, 425. Yeah, that's the highest in my county, so I get to go to regionals in a couple of weekends. <laughs> I've been eating butter to get my numbers up, you know? <laughs> Trying to get out of the brisket bracket this time around. Yeah, my doctor didn't laugh. He said I needed to change my diet and my exercise programs. And I'm like, buddy, I can't do that. I don't have either program running right now. <laughs> he said, why don't you ride a bike three or four times a week for an hour at a time? I said, I'll tell you why not. I'm 51 years old, all right? It's not that I can't do it, but let's be honest. You see a man my age on a bicycle, you don't think he's exercising, do you? Do you? You're like, that poor guy had a repo or a DUI, right? <laughs> so... If you're not laughing, you rode here on a bike. So, <laughs> ching, ching. Then he said, why don't you get on a diet? I got on the Atkins diet, and that is hard to stick with. It says you're supposed to eat meat four or five times a day. Then it says smoke a cigarette and take a nap. Yeah, that was the Chet Atkins diet that I got on. Yeah. If you don't know who he is, you probably don't have high cholesterol. <laughs> then they put me on Lipitor, and man, that has a serious side effect. It's $8 a pill. 
eight bucks a day. One day I got up and dropped my pill. Couldn't find it. I was out eight bucks. So now I just wrap it up in a piece of bacon, swallow it whole every morning. <laughs> Melt some cheese on there so it sticks real good. Yeah, I'm trying to eat better. A friend of mine said, I'm going to get you the best hamburger you've ever had. Try to slip me something called an impossible burger. Mm. I took one bite. I'm like, what is that? He's like, oh, man, it's a bunch of vegetables squished together to taste like meat. I'm like, what you're describing is hamburger helper, but it ain't helping no burger, okay? <laughs> How do you even order this thing? I'll take two, two no beef patties, soy sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a gluten-free bun. I said, I don't want that stuff. He goes, well, in a couple of weeks, Kentucky Fried Chicken is rolling out chickenless chicken. Have we lost our minds in this country? If I bite into a wing ding and it tastes like a green bean, we're going to fight, all right? Right? I think so. <laughs> I think Colonel Sanders is rolling over and his finger looking grave right now, ain't he? Yeah, so I said, you know, you're trying. I'm going to take you out to get you the best meal you've ever had. So I took my friend to the Golden Corral. Love it there. I got a big bowl, put some ribs in there, pork chops. He's like, what is that? I'm like, that is an impossible salad. <laughs> it's a bunch of produce that identifies as livestock. <laughs> Figure that one out, non-binary. <laughs> I said, what kind of dressing do you want, gravy or gravy? <laughs> I don't understand any of this stuff at all. To me, a burger without meat is like a church without Jesus, all right? What's the point, right? So I'm trying to get healthier, and I try to eat a lot of chicken. I like Chick-fil-A. I heard about a baby, had, uh, a lady had a baby at a Chick-fil-A. Did y'all hear about that? Had a baby there, and the guy that ran the restaurant said that child and family can eat there for free till that child turns 14 years old. I didn't know it worked like that. I told my wife, we're going to have another baby. <laughs> How about Ruth's Chris Steakhouse? <laughs> you know, right? That's right. <laughs> yeah. I ain't paying $18 for mashed potatoes twice, I tell you that. They bring out the bill, sir, it's 120. I don't think so. Have you met my baby, Ruth? How about it? <laughs> there are so many things I don't understand. I saw a commercial the other night for a new Pepto-Bismol. Have you heard of this commercial? It says, now it comes with a healthy dose of melatonin so you can get right back to sleep. Now listen, I'm not a big fan of the diarrhea, all right? Never have been. But I would like to be awake when it happens, okay? <laughs> <laughs> this has to be causing problems all across the globe. Have you all seen Grandpa? He's sawing logs out there in a squatty potty. I don't know what's going on in there. <laughs> I told him not to eat that Impossible Burger. You get what you get. Hey, y'all been a lot of fun. Thanks a lot for putting up with me. Have a great night. Take care, everybody. Thank you. <laughs> I wasn't sure if we had Rick Roberts, Barney Five, or The Killer. You I never know. Sure. You never know. I like all that stuff. That was fantastic. Thank you, sir. Rick, we're so glad to have you on the show. We, you know, you're a part of our family here. And, uh, but how great it is, and the audience loved you, as we, of course, know they do every time you're here. Well, you've got such a great bunch here, and I've got to know people over the past... 118 episodes or whatever you've done here. Tonight's 120. 120. 120, yeah. So we got a lot of good people out there. Yeah. Um, you have an approach 
to, uh, to business, when you talk to corporate clients, called the Mayberry approach, I guess based on, of course, your Barney. But what does that mean? All right, so yeah, when I speak to corporate groups, sometimes they want funny, sometimes they want a message, and a lot of times they want a little bit of both. And so I've woven together this uh, comedy slash content program called the Mayberry Method, and we look back at how things used to be before we made it so complex, right? And to me, the Mayberry Method is just keeping things simple, doing what you're supposed to do, and respecting other people. And a lot of times in business, we lose that because we're so focused on shareholders or getting to the next deadline or whatever, but we don't treat the people around us the right way. And that, that you know, rubs off on our customers and everybody else. So that program's a lot of fun. I get to bust in the room with Barney Fife when I do it. Well, I'm gonna tell you, you're hilariously funny. You're a great guy to work with. We all love you. you. We're uh, thrilled to have you as part of, uh, of our show here. And thank you for being on our stage. Uh, thoroughly entertaining this audience. Thank, thank you, you I've loved every minute of it. Well, thank you. They loved every minute of it, and I did too. Hey, if you'd love some great clean comedy for your event, or maybe some funny common sense Mayberry-style business advice for your corporation, you can book Rick at Rick Roberts. And by the way, it's spelled R-I-K. Uh, his family didn't have enough money to put the C in there, so it's just R-I-K-Roberts.com. You can also find his videos, his blog, and his hilarious stand-up and comedy song CDs all at Rick Roberts. That's R-I-K-RickRoberts.com. Now, if you're ready for some more laughs, be sure and watch our In Case You Missed It segment. We're going to be tackling everything from fashionable unibrows on women to why cat owners are less likely to attend church. All of that is after the show on Huckabee.tv. Okay, Keith, what's around the corner tonight? Oh, you're going to love it. Up next, the inspiring love story of foster parents Emily and Chris Norton, plus music star Debbie Boone, talk show business stories that later sings on Huckabee. a story about a remarkable couple. After suffering a spinal injury while playing college football, my next guest was given 3% odds of ever moving his body below his neck again. 3%. But through faith and perseverance, he walked across the stage to receive his diploma, and then he walked seven yards to marry his fiancée. It's an incredible story, stunning story, and it's told in their book, the Seven Longest Yards. I want you to welcome Chris and Emily Norton. Thank you, Thank guys. Thank you. I, I got to tell you, your story is one that is so powerful. Chris, you were injured in a college football game, and your life changed instantly. How did you muster the courage to say, I'm not just going to give up? You know, it was a tough decision, but... I thankfully had that foundation of my faith in God. I was surrounded by family, friends, and then just from my upbringing of sports, of failing over and over again, having practices and workouts where I didn't think I could finish, but I finished. Mm. Games where it looks like there's no chance of a comeback, but we came back. Having that experience just gave me this confidence and belief in myself is that I'm gonna beat it. I'm gonna be part of that 3% that does recover. Mm. 
Emily, so many people in your position, you know, you, you could have just said, hey, Chris, you know, this, this is a life that's going to be too tough mm -hmm. for you and for me. You did not walk away. No, I mean, everybody has something. We all have things that we go through. And for Chris, you can see his challenges. Um, most of us, you can't, but we all do have something that um, you have to work through and be there for that person. And that's just love. You do that for who you love. And um, I mean, I'm so thankful I did because we're living the, the life that I've always dreamed of and um, doing exactly what I wanted to do of just spreading love and hope and um, helping others know that no matter what, you can get through it. I'm amazed, too, that you guys have adopted five girls. Yes. <laughs> I think that may be the bigger miracle than anything you've ever faced in your lives. Thank you. Incredible. Mm -hmm. And what, what caused you to say, in light of all the things we've got to cope with, the mm -hmm. challenges of, of Chris's uh, physical limitations, that we can, we can handle five girls. Oh, yeah. I mean, we didn't think that at first. It was definitely yeah. a progression where God was really stretching us to be able to do that. Um, but it's always been just something I've, I've had a big heart for. And when I, in high school, I started mentoring a girl, Whitley, who's our oldest daughter. She's 20 now. Oh. And that's how I learned about foster care. So I was hooked and I knew that we were going to do that um, in my life. Like I was just going to do what I could to help these kids. And when you meet them, they are amazing. They bring so much joy to our lives and our lives would not be the same without them. And then we are still foster as well. We have a little guy that we just got this week um, who we just, we just, we have to keep going because we know the need and we know we can do something about it. The videos, uh, both the graduation video and the wedding video have been seen, I, I want to say it's like over 300 million times across the world. I mean, I mean, there are a lot of movies that wouldn't get 1% of the viewership of just the YouTube videos of you guys. That has to be an encouragement to you to know that your life, your story, is touching people in a very deep and profound way. I mean, it is. I mean, just seeing the impact that it can have on other people by the way that you live your life um, is pretty incredible to see. We have people reach out all the time where they're in a dark place and they finally have hope again or they believe in love again or want to grow a relationship with God or go back to church. And um, it does add extra pressure and responsibility to just know that no matter any of us, all of us, we have that responsibility because everyone around, they see what you do and, um, and just the example you have in others makes an impact. Chris, I, I saw in the video you made a comment and it really, really hit me hard because you said that when you were preparing for the wedding and your goal was to walk Emily down the aisle and to walk those seven yards and you said, if I fail and I fall flat on my face, I'd rather do it and try than, than just to not even give it a shot. And I thought, how gutsy is that? I mean, it, it truly was a risky thing for you to stand up out of that chair, take seven yards of steps to be able mm -hmm. to experience that with Emily. Were you afraid? Were, was there a moment at which you said, this may not work? Yeah, absolutely. There's plenty <laughs> of times where I thought, what are we doing? Like, why are we doing this? But then I'm reminded of all those messages from people from across the world who were in a dark place, and they now have hope because of this graduation walk. So that gave us inspiration that we had to keep going. And I also knew falling flat on my face, you know, the foundation though still is God. Like uh, the truest thing about you is what God says about you. And I knew that no matter what happened, uh, I had my faith and I had Emily, I had the girl. So it's all good. Mm. <laughs> it's a powerful story. Emily, I also appreciate that in the book, The Seven Longest Yards, you also discussed that you did struggle with mm -hmm. depression. 
How did you cope with the sometimes depressing moments that you had? Yeah, I mean, right after the graduation walk, um, we were so busy before that, and then it started creeping in the depression, and I had no idea what was going on. I had everything that I needed, so it didn't make sense that I'd be struggling with depression. Um, I was just very naive to mental health at the time, and also I'm very independent and want to do everything myself, mm. which is not a good combination. Mm. So I tried to do it myself for way too long, um, and I couldn't, so I struggled, and I was in such a dark place where I didn't think I was going to get through mm. until we went back to church and I started praying again and getting back with my relationship with God. And then um, I made the decision to go get help and realize like getting help is a strength and it's harder to do that, but that's when it changed everything. And when I pushed it under the rug, it did not go away. And those things you have to talk about because when you let it out and you talk about it, it does not have the same power on you. You guys are amazing. And I wanna tell you what a great inspiration you are. You touch people at every age level, at every point of life, and your story is one that I don't care whether a person has been confronted with something like you have been, Chris, but this is a story that encourage people and lift them up and challenge them. And they see you and they say, these guys can keep going. So can I. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your story. Appreciate it. God bless you. Uh, my thanks to Chris and Emily Norton, inspiring and helping so many people and it could be you that they help. Their book, I'm holding in my hands, The Seven Longest Yards. It's available everywhere, Amazon, bookstores. You can order the book and also see a trailer for the film, Seven Yards. You can book them as speakers in your community and learn about the Chris Norton Foundation, all at chrisnorton.org. Now, Keith Bilbrey is about seven yards from me, which is the perfect distance for him to tell us what's coming up on the show. Well, coming up, Grammy Award-winning recording artist Debbie Boone's remarkable career in music. And later, she sings right here on Huckabee. And welcome back. In 1977, my next guest became a household name thanks to her Grammy-winning song, You Light Up My Life, that we've all heard. You may not know she's the granddaughter of Country Music Hall of Famer Red Foley, the daughter-in-law of the late legendary singer Rosemary Clooney, and daughter of beloved entertainer Pat Boone and his wife Shirley. Now, if that pedigree doesn't produce a talented superstar, Nothing will. Please welcome the ever delightful Debbie Boone. <laughs> Debbie, great having you here. Thank you so much. <laughs> I always wonder, growing up in a household that was all about show business, at what age did you say, yeah, I'd like to do that too? Well, my mom taught us to sing, at, as far back as I can remember, my mom taught my sisters and me to sing in four-part harmony, and sometimes she was the fifth. And she would have us sing for company. And I loved it. And I got a lot of attention for having a kind of a loud voice for a little girl. Mm. Um, but I didn't really think of doing that as a profession until my dad took us on the road with him so that he didn't have to keep leaving us. He went to Japan to do a tour. And he put us in the act. And once I got a taste of what that was, uh, I was in. 
So 14, I was. 14. Yeah. You said, that's it. Yeah. I'm going to be an entertainer. D did you want to say, okay, I, I appreciate all that, but I just want to be myself, who I am, and sing my kind of music, my kind of way. Was that, was that a part of the process for you? Um, I, I, I never really felt like I had to struggle to, to do my own thing. What I had to struggle with was to be seen as a three-dimensional person because mm. I kind of inherited my dad's image and people really sort of held me at arm's length because it was a very sort of squeaky clean, almost too good to be true, um, mm. you know, and that wasn't real. So it was really hard to get to a place where I felt like people could, could know and not be, you know, like, I, I, I don't, she's probably judging everybody. I always felt like people felt mm. that about me and that was never the case. Well, you've had a, a, an incredible run at it and, you know, hits throughout so many decades. But, you know, the, the big song that kind of, I guess, separated you from being Pat Boone's daughter mm -hmm. and then you became Debbie Boone was You Light Up My Life. Right. Did you think it was going to be that big of a I song? I did not. My mother did. Did but she? But I just thought, she's my mom. Yeah. <laughs> your mother, mother, by the way, one of the most beautiful people I've ever known. You and uh, your, your dad, Pat, and mom, Shirley, went to Israel with me on several yes. occasions. Loved him. Mm -hmm. You lost your mom last year. Right. Uh, must have been a tough year, 2019. Uh, it was for a lot of reasons, and that was that was tough. But she had suffered for quite some time, so in many ways, I was very happy that she was no longer suffering. Yeah. She and your dad together, 65 years. 65 years. That is amazing. I mean, most people. <laughs> everybody still thinks Pat Boone is 18 years old. <laughs> <laughs> well, they married at 19, but yeah, yeah they, they celebrated. In fact, she was at home in hospice when they celebrated that anniversary. Wow. Yeah. You're in a project right now that uh, is combining a whole lot of stuff, pop music, country, Broadway, jazz, everything <laughs> sort of fused together. Tell us about uh, the, the show that you're doing and why did you decide to do such a breadth of music? Well because I always have loved so many different kinds of music, and I think that's because I've had so many different kinds of musical influences, strong influences from my dad and Rosemary and my grandfather and the things that I listened to and enjoyed when I was young. And this affords me a chance to sing all different kinds of music and tell the stories that go along with them. You also worked uh, in Vegas with uh, Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr. That had to have been a ride. Yeah, I did not work in Vegas with them, but I worked with Frank Sinatra in Atlantic City. Mm -hmm. And Sammy Davis, I did a, a television show, a Bob Hope special, and mm -hmm. got to eat dinner at his home with he and his wife, Altavis. And uh, yeah, and I- Was he a zany in person behind the scenes as he yes. was on stage, wasn't he? Yes, but delightful and generous and uh, warm. He was great. I loved Sammy Davis Jr. People and Frank who knew was him. great. I never got to know him, obviously, but people said he was the most just loving person and was always about doing things for other people yes. and his friends. He so that really was for true. us, invited us to his home for dinner after this special. And oh. yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, how many people can tell that story? <laughs> Not that many, it turns out. <laughs> well, one of the things that we invited you to come do was to sing on the show. Because we're not going to have Debbie Boone come <laughs> and just let you go without some music. As so, long as you're playing with me. <laughs> absolutely. You know, I, I want to do that. And I want to tell our audience you can get Debbie Boone's album, Swing This, wherever music is sold. For information about her upcoming concert performances, go to DebbieBoone.com. Now, after the break, 
I'm going to be playing bass with Debbie as she sings a medley of her hit songs, so you better not go away. perform a medley of hit songs with the governor on bass is Debbie Boone. I've been so many places in my life and times. I've sung a lot of songs. I've made some bad rhymes. I've acted out my life in stages with 10,000 people watching. But we're alone now, and I'm singing this song for you. I know your image of me is what I hope to be. I've treated you unkindly. Darling, can't you see There's no one more important to me Can't you please see through me Cause we're alone now And I'm singing this song for you You taught me precious secrets Of a truth withholding nothing you came out in front, and I was hiding. But now I'm so much better, and if my words don't come together, listen to the melody, cause my love is in there hiding.
Bye. 